Welcome, Moses and Elena. Thank you so much for joining our church body. We count it as a privilege um, and happy anniversary to you. I'm glad that you remembered tomorrow's your anniversary. That's a good one. Um, although maybe on the spot, but hey, you still remembered it, so good job. And uh, I wanted to tell you as a church, um, please make them feel awkward. Uh, <laughs> They are seminary students, and so I love that they were like, hey, um, don't feel awkward about inviting us over to your house for dinner. So um, go ahead and let us make them feel awkward and be a blessing as a church. And um, I love the opportunity we have as a church body to get to have fellowship with each other, to get to be awkward with each other, um, to get to know each other and enjoy the gifts that God has given. Um, what, what a joy and a privilege it is as a church to celebrate that on a regular basis. So thanks very much. Looking forward to that. Uh, today is a little different of an Advent message because we're doing an Advent message from the book of Judges. So turn in your Bibles to Judges 13. And this, will we hear about the merciful gift of a Savior in Judges. The merciful gift of a Savior born or promised to be born in Judges 13. So let's read God's holy inspired word together. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful to drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child should be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what are we to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the Lord, to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders 
And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do not leave us in despair. God, thank you that you do not leave us in our sin. You don't leave us in our wandering away from you. You don't leave us when we've gone astray. You don't leave us when we go our own way. But God, you come. You, you purpose to save us. You purpose to rescue us. You show your mercy to us, Lord. Thank you that, that you, you, you time and time again throughout Scripture have shown us that. God, I pray that we would... We would see you, see your mercy, your saving grace, and we would see your promises. And Lord, I pray that we would trust in you, trust in your mercy, trust in your grace as a response today. God, we all are desperate. God, so many of us fail. So many of us have darkness and things in our life that are not right. So many of us have hopelessness surrounding us. Lord, I pray that you would shine your sun into our circumstances and situations. Lord, that you would show us your salvation. God, I pray that by your grace, you would make us alive to your word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as a young boy, not about any of you guys, but I was forced to read a story called Lord of the Flies. Um, I hated it. I still despise the Lord of the Flies. When somebody mentions it, I kind of have this revulsion to it. It's an awful story. Most of my kids love the story. I don't know what's wrong with them. Um, I, they're actually probably more perceptive in a literary way than I was. But, but the problem was is that the, this, is, this group of boys, they were British schoolboys. They were reasonably well-behaved. They were well-educated. They had everything going for them. They were privileged, and they were marooned on this desert island. And they were marooned there, and then very quickly, things devolved, Left to themselves, things did not get better. Left to their own devices, to to how they thought they should live on their own, things did not go well. And that's kind of an understatement. It's a graphic, gory, kind of horror novel, really, of the horrors of humanity and just how bad things can get when people are left to themselves. And you would think, all these great kids who had great things going for them, well, surely... They'll, they'll form a utopian society on this beautiful island where there's so many wonderful things to eat and so many things to do and they can play. And, and what really happens is that they end up becoming these evil, wicked children, by and large, except for maybe one kid who runs off. And in this story, things progress and get worse and worse and worse until they kill one of the kids who's actually trying to, to teach them about God. And they kill him. And then they kill this helpless little kid, Piggy. And then things get worse. And then, and then they, they, they set up this pig head as an idol to worship it. And they, that's essentially the Lord of the flies. 
And then at the very end, just when you think things are, are going to be completely destroyed, there's a promise that comes. Because this naval sailor, he comes, sets foot on the island, and he meets one of the fleeing children, and they are rescued. But the story of Lord of the Flies is really a story all about humanity. How left to our own devices, left to ourselves, we don't get better, we don't evolve. We're not inherently good, but inherently left to ourselves, to our own devices, going our own way, we actually get more and more and more evil. And a rescue is really needed. Because otherwise, all hope is lost. And that's really the situation that, that we find in Judges that Samson is promised. Um, God comes in the midst of the worst. We've seen horrific murders. We've seen the worst of the worst in the book of Judges. And what we've really seen throughout the book of Judges is this fact that humanity doesn't get better on their own, that apart from God, we get worse and worse and worse. And there's this downward spiral all throughout the book of Judges, this downward cycle of sin, because that is where our own desires eventually lead us. Until we get to the place where it says, at the beginning of this passage, it says, they, they did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is now the 12th cycle. This is the 12th, the final judge in the book of Judges. The book's not over, but it's the final judge in the book of Judges. And it's this cycle that repeats over and over and over again. Um, but what's shocking about this cycle is that there's no repentance. There's not even repentance here. If you, if you notice, the cycle normally starts with the people again did what was evil, God brought discipline to them, and then they cry out to God. Well, look down your Bibles. There's, there's no sight of that. Verse 1, it just says they did was evil. God gave them the hand of Philistines for 40 years. This is one of the longer periods of, of oppression they've experienced, and yet they do not cry out. And what we see really is that God's merciful grace is needed. That's what humanity needs. That's what, that's what the people in the book of Judges need. That's what we need. God's merciful grace is needed because we can't rescue ourselves. Left to ourselves, left to our own devices, we won't even repent on our own. That's what we see. We see that humanity has gotten so bad that they don't even repent. And why is, why is it written like that? It's to show that God's merciful grace is needed. They've spiraled so far down that they're no longer attuned to God and to his things. They no longer cry out to him. They're no longer even affected by the suffering around them. They've actually become complacent to the idea of the Philistines, and they've kind of accepted the Philistine culture. This is the way it is. We're just going to live amongst it, and we don't even need God anymore. I think the book of Judges is extremely relevant for us today. Because for us, that's what we can look around us and see. People aren't by nature, crying out to God in the midst of oppression. But God's merciful grace is needed. It's dramatically needed. It's not just needed out there, but it's needed in our own lives too. The people become so resigned to their plight, they become hopeless, and yet they act like they're self-sufficient. It's really what the book of Hebrews warns against in Hebrews 3 when it, it warns and says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And that's what's happened, is that the people have, they have not taken care. They have not taken care to follow God, and, and yet what's grown in them is this evil, unbelieving heart. And it's led them to fall away from the living God. And it's easy to get to that place. It's easy to get to the place ourselves. 
And we can become deluded in thinking that somehow we deserve God's grace, we've earned God's grace, that somehow we're good enough on our own, yet what this passage shows us is that no, God's mercy, his merciful grace is what we need each and every day. You know, suddenly your heart can become hardened until you no longer cry out, no longer repent. And that's a, that's a dire, awful situation to be in. And that's how this passage opens. And then after Samson, by the way, things are getting worse. But for the next four chapters, we have the story of Samson. And yet really, the story is really not about Samson. As much as it is, is about God. It's about his merciful grace that's needed. And then it's about his merciful grace that's promised. And then we're going to continue to see that, that not only is his merciful grace needed, his merciful grace is promised, and then his merciful grace is what he gives at the end of this passage. So a story that we think is really about Samson, his birth narrative, is all about God and his mercy. God doesn't leave them in this awful place. He doesn't leave them in this awful state. You know what mercy means? Mercy is something that's undeserved to those who are pitiful and completely undeserving. Mercy is a, is a kindness shown, is a, is a grace shown to those who are completely undeserving. And that's, that's what we're shown here is that this merciful grace is needed because they're completely undeserving. And then that's true for each and every one of us. We, we, we actually have done nothing to deserve God on our own. We've done nothing good to earn God's favor. And his merciful grace is needed. But here's the good news that we see in this passage as well, is that God's merciful grace that's promised. His merciful grace is promised here too. It goes from evil so telling about this, this man from the tribe of Zorah, this tribe of the Danites, the Danites were this tribe that was wandering. They had never actually been faithful to God to, to carry out conquering the people and their inheritance. So actually the tribe of the Danites never had an inheritance until later on. They hadn't actually gotten any inheritance at all. And so this tribe was this wandering, desolate tribe, the most desolate of the tribes of Israel. They had no inheritance, no reason for hope. The enemy was in their land. And then you have Manoah, whose name ironically means rest. But he had no rest, really, because his wife was barren, and they had no children. Their, their, their situation was one of, of desperation and hopelessness. They, they had no inheritance, and even if they did have anything, they had no one to give it to. Now, this is not a condemnation of those who can't have children at all, but this is showing the barrenness of God's people, generally. God's people were barren. They were hopeless. They were wanderers who had nothing on their own and they had no hope to pass it on. There's a picture of disgraced Israel, powerless, without hope for carrying on. The future wasn't just bleak, it was dead. And in the midst of this, here's what happens. In verse 3, the angel of the Lord appears. You know why? Because God delights to show mercy to those who need it. Not because they've earned it, not because they deserve it, because God delights to show mercy to know those who need it. And so it says, the angel of the Lord appears to the woman. And he, he tells her exactly how bad her situation is. He says, behold, you are barren and you don't have any kids. But then he gives her a promise, a hope. He says, but you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. And he brings this message that's, that's transformative and it, and it brings new life and it speaks of the promise of a son. Because that's what... God's mercy does. It speaks new life. It speaks creatively. God's mercy is our hope. 
And that's what he promises here. And isn't it just like God all throughout the Bible, all from the very beginning to the very end, right after man first sins, what does God do? God, even in the curse, promises mercy to bring a seed who will crush the head of the serpent. God speaks a word of mercy. He promises mercy. And then all throughout the Bible, you see that. And it's interesting to know that, that Samson is the only birth narrative in all the book of Judges. And it's actually just one of six or seven, however you count it, birth narratives in the entire Bible. And that should surprise you because you think Samson's not such a great guy, but he plays such a significant role in redemptive history because God uses him to show his mercy. All throughout the Bible, God is the one who promises mercy. Remember back in, in Genesis 17, he promised Sarah, he promised Abraham and Sarah that, that, that she would bear a son and they would call her his name Isaac because he would establish his covenant with him, an everlasting covenant. And then into Jacob and Esau's promise that through Isaac and Rebekah. He says, two nations in your room in Genesis 25, and two peoples from within you should be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And, and it was God's promise to bring mercy, not because Jacob had done anything good or bad to deserve it, is what Paul tells us in Romans, but because of God's mercy. Later on, you see that God promised another child to Hannah, who was barren. And God gave the gift of Samuel, who would really be the forerunner to anoint God's chosen king. Then in Luke, we see that God promised more mercy. The angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah when he was in the temple, and his wife was barren. There's a theme here, into barrenness, the barrenness of Sarah, the barrenness of Rebekah, the barrenness of Hannah, the barrenness of Elizabeth, the barrenness of Samson. Into barrenness, God speaks his promise of mercy. I should give hope to each and every one of us here because sometimes in our lives, we are barren. Things seem barren. Things seem fruitless. Things seem pointless. There seems to be no way to carry on. And yet our hope is that God speaks his promise of mercy and he delights to do that. And then he, he gives this promise and tells that the son will be born a Nazarite, and a Nazarite, what that means is someone who was set aside. Typically, it would be a voluntary vow that was made that they would carry out a specific promise or something special purpose. They would carry out a vow for a period of time voluntarily, and after that vow was done, they would shave their heads and they'd go back to their lives. But this is a little different. Samson is actually made a Nazarite from birth by God. And he, he tells his parents, that God tells his parents to make a vow, really, to keep that vow to obey. God determined his life. God promised this mercy through a chosen child. God intervened. And really, I love the way that David Jackman puts it. He says the message of, of God's intervention for his people is that you only find deliverance from the oppression of your enemies by seeking after a life of consecration to the Lord. God's going to bring deliverance as they are consecrated to him, as he is consecrated to them. God's going to bring about deliverance. 
what the birth of Samson points to is this, this fact that God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to speak words of mercy, and he's faithful to bring about his promised one, even when his people are unfaithful, when they've done nothing good or bad. That's our hope today. That's what we celebrate in Advent. God's salvation doesn't depend upon God's people in any way. Did you notice that it says nothing about the merits of Samson's father, Manoah? It says nothing about the merits of his mother. And in fact, here's something really strange. All throughout this narrative, it never once mentions Mrs. Manoah. It never once mentions her name. It never once tells us who this woman is. There's such a significant woman who actually has a lot of faith, who responds in faith, but it never once mentions who it is. And I think that's to draw attention to the fact that it doesn't depend upon the merit of the people, but it depends on God's grace and his mercy. God's grace, then, is on God's terms, not dependent upon us, not dependent upon what we do. But God's grace demands a response. And that's what we see, is that God's, God's mercy, his mercy and grace are responded to in this passage. That's what we see immediately. She's, she's given this wonderful promise, and then God's mercy and grace is responded to. The woman immediately went and told her husband. She didn't doubt, she didn't ponder, she didn't think, is this really true? But she responds to it. She responds and she goes and tells him, this man, he was like the appearance of an angel of God. It was very awesome, and because he was so awesome, I didn't even ask him his name. I didn't ask him where he's from, but he said I would bear a son. Now she shifts it a little bit. She, she changes the narrative and she says something that's a little foreboding at the end. She says that he's going to be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. We see a little foreshadowing that God's promises will be fulfilled in the death of his chosen son. Samson's mother, though, she responds to this announcement of the, by the angel of the Lord with faith. And she goes and tells him what the angel had said. Mercy is always meant to be responded to. God shows us his mercy so that we might respond to his mercy with faith. Not faith in ourselves, but faith in him. God's shown us his mercy. And, and every year around this time, we, we celebrate the Advent. And some of us are like, oh, yet again, here's another calendar we have to celebrate. We have to go through the motions. But that's a good reminder year after year that we receive mercy, undeserved mercy, and it helps us remember and not forget like they did. It helps us remember and not fall back into our old ways so that we might respond to him and have faith for the future as well. God's mercy is meant to be responded to in faith. Imagine that you were completely destitute you had no financial hope, no future, and someone promises you that they're going to give you an inheritance when they die. And then they give you that inheritance. How are you meant to respond to that? You're meant to respond to that, first the promise with faith, and then in response to the inheritance with joy. And so what we see here, we see this, this prayer of faith as a response. We see mercy come, and then we see a prayer of faith and response. That's what Manoah does. Manoah prays. He doesn't doubt either, which is kind of surprising. He sees the merciful promise of God, and he doesn't doubt. Instead, he has faith. And he just prays that the man of God will come again and teach us what to do with the child that will be born. Because God's promises will come true. He has faith. God listens. And I love that picture here. God listens to the response of faith to his mercy. 
He, he listens to the response of prayers. And, and for us, we have to draw confidence from that, that God actually listens to us when we pray. God's merciful to listen to our prayers. God hears the prayers of Noah, and the angel comes again. This time, the, the woman was alone again. Manoah must have been a little frustrated, wondering, what in the world is going on? God, you've appeared to my wife twice. Why not me? But he, he's not daunted at all. The, the woman runs to her husband. She tells him about what's happened. And he immediately goes, and he goes to the man. He says, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And, and, and look at the response of this angel of the Lord. He doesn't say, yes, I'm the man, or he doesn't explain his name or anything else. He just, but he says something that's interesting that should actually be a hint to Manoah, and it's a hint to us. He just responds with two words. He says, I am. I am. Similar to how God answered Moses when Moses asked God, if I come to the people of Israel, I say to them, the God of your fathers sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said to the, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The angel of the Lord just answers, I am. And then Manoah still doesn't get it. He says, when, you, when your words come true, What's the child's manner of life? What's his mission? But the angel of the Lord doesn't repeat himself. He's already told his wife what's to be, that he's to be a Nazarite. He will begin, that's the key really to the whole passage, he'll begin to save Israel. And so the angel of the Lord just repeats himself and says, well, everything I told your wife, let her be careful to do. Because the response to mercy is obedience. Faith. Prayer and obedience is what we see as responses to mercy. That's what God calls us to as well. Sometimes we, he doesn't give the details of everything. And, and often in our lives, he won't give us all the details. He doesn't explain everything about our mission. He doesn't explain all the details of how we're supposed to carry out our mission, what we're supposed to do to fulfill that. But he does give us a commission. He gives us a mission. And then he tells us to go and obey him. I love how Romans motivates us. It says, in full view of God's mercies. In full view of God's mercies. That's how we respond. In full view of God's mercies, our lives become this living sacrifice. That's the response to mercy. Mercy is to be responded to with faith, prayerful dependence, and then obedience. And that's what faith requires. We we accept and obey what God has said even when we don't know the specific details. And I, I love that picture of what we see, these faithful parents. Hebrews 11 tells us that, that faith really is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It says, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And then a few verses later, Samson is mentioned. The angel of the Lord doesn't explain himself, but he does require faith to be carried out in obedience not in what they could see, not in what they understood, but in God's mercy. And then they make an offering. Manoah doesn't press further because he doesn't get the name. He, he asks me to detain the man for, by, by making a goat for him. And the angel of the Lord says, no, I'm not going to eat your food, but instead of me eating your food, why don't you make an offering to the Lord? Now Manoah should have got it again because the Lord physically wasn't able to be seen by Manoah except for this angel of the Lord. And so he should have gotten that. The angel was actually saying that I am the Lord. You can make an offering to me. But Manoah didn't get it. So he makes this offering. They lay it out there. And then Manoah, maybe he's hoping to kind of like, well, maybe, maybe we take some time here. I'm going to ask this name again. 
And so a third time, Manoah kind of tries to appeal to figure out who this guy is. And, and so he says, you know, what's your name so we might honor you? And the angel of the Lord, look at what he says again. He says, why do you ask my name? Seeing it's wonderful. Now, th- that should give us, especially this time of year, that should give us a, a hint. He's wonderful. He's the counselor. He's the almighty God. He's the prince of peace. And that's who has mercifully appeared. In, such, in Psalms 139.6, David speaks of this kind of wonderful knowledge. And he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's, it's too high. I, I cannot attain it. And so this angel is saying, this, this name is beyond all comprehension, but how you're supposed to respond to me, to this name, to this wonder, is in worship and in gratitude. It's too wonderful for us. So Manoah, he takes this goat with a grain offering, he offers it to the Lord on the rock, and then they're watching, and as they're watching, something spectacular happens. They're watching, they have a fire there, you know, imagine putting a fire pit out in your backyard. You're roasting a, a goat over your backyard fire pit. You have a guest over. The guest stands up. He walks over to the fire, steps into the fire, and goes up in the flames. I think that would be shocking to you. You would realize this is a supernatural visitor. That's what they finally get. All of those hints, those clues that they've been getting all along now make a lot of sense. And they realize really the focus of their faith is actually Yahweh himself who's appeared in person. It says, when the flame went up towards the heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up from the flame of the altar. And while they were watching, they fell on their faces to the ground. They both got it. The focus of their faith, mercy has appeared to them in the person of Jesus or the person of of God incarnate. This is God himself. And they responded appropriately. They fall on their faces to the ground. And isn't that our response? When we see that we receive the mercy of God. Respond by faith, respond in prayer, respond in obedience, and ultimately in thanksgiving. And his presence really makes all the difference. They're scared. They fall on their faces to the ground. They are frightened, and they think they're going to die. But God's presence of his merciful grace that makes, makes all the difference. God's presence of his merciful grace makes every bit of the difference. They were afraid. Look down your Bible in verse 21. Or in verse 20, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would have not accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or announced these things to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan, between Zorah and Eshtaol. What we see is that God's presence makes all the difference. God was present with them. He was present to show them his mercy. He was present to show them his grace. If he had wanted to kill them, he would have already done that. 
And so his very presence is a sign that he's going to show his mercy to them. That's what his wife says. She encouraged her husband with that. But then God didn't leave them. He, he continued to carry out and fulfill his promises to them. And he bore them a son. He says the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And Samson actually means child of the sun or one who shines brightly. And, and I love how in the Bible we really have that promise of, of God shining like the sun. Of him coming down and shining on us and, and giving us his great light. And there's that prophecy in the Old Testament how the people of Zebulun have seen a great light. And we see that in Matthew. I think I have the passage for you. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And Samson's, even his name is kind of signifying this coming one who will shine on us, who will be a savior, who will ultimately not just begin, but who will finish the salvation that God has promised, who will bring ultimate and final mercy. Samson turns out not to be the one who is ultimately going to deliver God's people. But he begins that salvation. He begins to show God's people salvation. He begins to shine like the sun. And then to ultimately the one who will shine like the sun. And then I love how it describes. It says the young man grew. The Lord blessed him. The same is said of Jesus. That Jesus grew and the Lord blessed him. It says the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And that's really the ultimate one who was filled with God's spirit is Jesus. God's presence, it makes all the difference with us. And, and left to ourselves, left to our own devices, we would decline. Left to our own devices, we will be like the children in the Lord of the Flies. And, and that's really what we see in the world around us. That's why society seems to be cratering and spiraling down. Well, that's normal. It's natural because left to ourselves, that's where things go. That's the whole book of Judges, that they did what was right in their own eyes and things spiraled down, getting worse and worse and worse. But this is no accidental savior who has come to us. It wasn't some Navy guy who accidentally discovered this island and rescued these children. No, God sent his son specifically to rescue us. And he always planned to do that from the very beginning. Even before Adam and Eve sinned, he promised a seed. He promised someone to come and rescue. And that's what we've received, is we've received God's promised son. And his mercy comes to us in Christ. How do we respond? How do we respond to this mercy that we've received? I think the first thing is to realize that, that we need mercy. Sometimes, after you become a Christian, you can get lulled into thinking that you no longer require God's mercy. But it is solely the mercy and grace of God that save us and solely the mercy and grace of God that keep us. That's what we need. We need God's mercy. But here's the wonderful thing is that his mercy is promised to us and we can receive his mercy by putting hope in him, by putting faith in his promised son, by responding to his promised one with, with a relationship, with prayer, with communion with him. We can respond to him in, in obedience and then we respond to him in worship. And we can be sure that his presence will never leave us, will never forsake us. He has gone up from us. Christ has ascended. 
And he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, but he's promised that, that one day he will return. And until then, he is reigning, and he is ruling, and he has secured all of our promises, and all of the promises of God are fulfilled in his promised son. What are you hoping in today? What are you looking for today? Whose presence are you aware of today? His presence sustains us. It makes all the difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy.